right here in these United States. New England is pretty famous for its ports and brave sailors who hailed from places like Bar Harbor, Portsmouth, Boston, Newport, Vineyard Haven, and Gloucester, which looks a lot like Gloucester, but it's not. Such sailors were rough, tough men who routinely said goodbye to their loved ones and sailed courageously into the deep icy waters in search of fish, fame, fortune, or adventure, or all the above. Among the things these gusty men feared the most was a derelict vessel, a vessel that had been abandoned at high sea. A derelict vessel had no moorings, and since it was drifting, it did not operate by any rules. It was free and uncommitted, no captain to impose its will upon it. As a result, the vessel became a grave danger to anyone who happened to be anywhere near it. These unpredictable, uncontrolled derelicts caused many tragic shipwrecks. The term derelict was subsequently used to describe a person or a culture that lacked discipline and direction. At first glance, a life free from restraint, from rules, responsibilities, it sounds appealing. In fact, the idea that we should all be free to determine what to believe and how to behave has often been peddled as reasonable, as noble, as freeing. But how does such reasoning really play out in practical terms? What does it look like in real life? What would a world of no absolutes really look like? What would it look like on our roads and highways? How comfortable would you be on the highway if you knew the driver beside you was not held to the same convictions that red means stop and double yellow means do not pass? Suppose stop signs were optional. People could pick and choose, like a buffet, which side of the street to drive on. Today I drive on the right, tomorrow maybe the left. And Wednesday, well, right down the middle. We would certainly have more freedom, we'd have more options, but fewer people would live to tell about it. Because when anything goes, everything goes downhill. People, groups, and nations with no moorings, it can be dangerous. Every world-class civilization in history has crashed when it became so tolerant that there were no longer any sure guidelines by which people could be civilized. Think about the great Roman Empire, who amassed a mighty army, conquered the known world, built an unprecedented network of roads, erected spectacular buildings such as the Colosseum. They improved their cities and lifestyles until less of their energy was needed to survive and more available for pleasure, for sport. And soon they embraced and applauded variations and values and morals. They became tolerant of nearly everything except Christianity. That was a glaring exception. Their sporting events became increasingly lewd and senseless violence in the arena became the norm. And as a result, the Romans became a derelict people. The empire crashed. Everyone lost. That's the way it goes with every nation, group, or individual who ignores God's blueprint for life. And we're going to take a good long look at that blueprint right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast. Brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. Hey, this is L.J. Harry. I'm your host. And you're listening to our God's Word for Life companion podcast. Companion podcast means you can follow along in the student guide. And I will do my best to stay very close to the student guide so you can follow along with it. And if you don't have a copy of it, but want a copy, you can pick up a copy at godswordforlife.faith. Today's episode and lesson 
is from September 26, 2021. It's entitled, Obedience to God's Word, and it's about our old seafaring pal named Noah, whose story is found in the beginning at Genesis chapter 6. In his story today, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 8. Our key verse is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, after God tells Noah everything he needs to do. The scripture records in Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded, so did he. Noah is one of the most iconic stories of all time. It illustrates the relationship between humanity and our creator. It's this epic story of Noah and a worldwide flood. A version of a flood narrative is found in histories of nearly 270 people groups from all over the world. Still today, viewing a rainbow or gazing at the Grand Canyon reminds believers of the great deluge and of the huge boat that saved the family of a man willing to obey God. So as we begin, let me ask you this question. Why do you think some people reject the reality of creation or the reality of a great flood? The validity, the veracity of the story is often challenged with arguments such as, well, it must be a myth because a good God would never destroy most of humanity. But that argument starts with a one-sided construct of God and tries to make the facts line up. But honest truth seekers will start with the facts and draw the appropriate conclusions. And the facts of this story paint a picture of a good and gracious God who is forced to deal with an unruly human race. So unruly Genesis 6 records that every thought of every heart was only evil continually. The flood is not a tall tale. It's not an obscure event. It is mentioned 39 times in 13 books of our Bible. Few other events have such a large portion of Scripture dedicated to them, and the passages that describe Noah's encounter with God make four points very clear. Firstly, God warned Noah. Second, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Third, Noah became a preacher of righteousness, warning humanity of God's coming judgment. And four, through the grace of God, God provided a way of escape. Now imagine Noah's shock when God first spoke to him. It must have been difficult to comprehend this idea of a flood that would require a boat, especially since it had never flooded before. In fact, it had never rained. The thought of such an enormous act of God had to be sobering. It must have been incredible, or unable to be credible, <laughs> to think that of all the people on the earth, God had chosen Noah to escape. Salvation can be hard to accept as we try to comprehend just how God can be just and gracious at the same time, but the God we discover in the Scripture and in our experience is the God who is both just and merciful at the same time. Why do you suppose people have a difficult time believing God loves them and wants them to be a part of his kingdom, his church? God in his grace gave Noah and his generation a way of escape. In future generations, God continued to provide a plan by which humanity could be saved. His word is a collection of life-saving instructions that may be compared to life-saving instructions provided by governments. For example, crisscross the Rocky Mountains, it's beautiful. But when it comes snow time, it's dangerous, extremely dangerous. So in order to minimize fatalities... Many states have established what they call salvation plans. Those are laws and warnings to help ensure the safety of people who are traveling. 
People daring to traverse the Cascade Range on I-90 in Washington may remember encountering chain-up areas. During certain weather, some vehicles are required by law to fit their tires with chains. And if you don't, that's 500 bucks you've got to pay. For the past several years, several of the closures on the I-90 Snoqualmie Pass, this lesson's got all kinds of interesting names, have been due to vehicles who have ignored the chain-up requirement. They get into collisions, they block lanes, it's gridlock. So these chain-up laws, they're not designed to make people's lives difficult. The fines are not just issued to raise revenue. They are salvation plans for the travelers. They help the driver to be able to navigate the road, especially on the snow. Chaining up may seem silly, might seem burdensome, might even be irritating to the travelers who have never been over a mountain pass in a snowstorm. But the possibility of an accident or fatality, it may seem remote, but those precautions are necessary to help save life. The same is true with God's salvation plan. His plan is not the unreasonable demands of a cruel God. Rather, it's the loving guidance of a merciful God who has our best interest at heart. He loves humanity. The plan of salvation, it's not the selfish demand of an angry higher power. It is simply a plan of escape. What guidelines has God given for our safety and benefit? Some of you may think of the Ten Commandments or maybe the Golden Rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I have a friend who says, do unto others before they do unto you. That's not the golden rule. But this salvation plan is paramount in the story of Noah. Noah demonstrates that obedience is not just about some specific behavior. It is about attitude. God is God, and not even God changes attitude. He has to be Lord in our lives to be fair, to be just, to be good, to be faithful. And when Noah obeyed God, he was acknowledging God's sovereignty. And therein lies the rub. When you answer the question earlier of why people balk at the idea of creation or of a flood, that's probably one of the main reasons. People don't necessarily want God to be sovereign in their life. They balk at this idea of obeying God. But this desire to choose our own way, that's what expelled Satan from heaven. And that's the root cause of most sin. Thankfully, God's word is our roadmap out of this land of sin into this land of lordship. That's why Genesis 6.22 is so beautiful. Just like God told Noah, so Noah did. Noah and his family were obedient. They lived. Noah's contemporaries stood up to God, and they died. Noah's obedience was no small thing. The ark took Noah and his three boys a hundred plus years to build. It's about a third of the size of the Titanic. In fact, Genesis 6 to 15 to 16 basically are the blueprints for the ark. It gives specific dimensions. It's measured by cubits, which we don't use that much, but if a cubit is designed to be 18 inches, then the ark was 1,518,000 cubic feet. Line up 250 single-deck railroad stock cars. That's how long the ark was. It could have carried somewhere between 20,000 and 40,000 sheep-sized animals. That's no small task. And Noah's effort and dedication, it should have earned admiration from his generation. Instead, it triggered skepticism and criticism. One of the most trying things about obedience is people will often misunderstand or even resent us for doing the right thing. Noah and his family were certainly misunderstood. His friends and neighbors and colleagues and maybe even extended family did not understand him and understand why he was doing what he was doing. They could not understand also, however, 
that Noah's obedience and commitment would draw the grace of God and the honor of God and have Noah written into the word of God and the history of the world. It's often Christians feel misunderstood, even mistreated. Truth is, everybody feels that way at some time. However, what advantage as believers do we have in this regard? As believers, when we feel misunderstood or even mistreated, what advantage do we have? I should say, whom do we have? There's a clue. Finally, when the time came, God promised, God performed, the heavens opened up. It rained 40 days and nights. The fountains of the deep opened up. Billions of gallons of water covered the earth, changing its topography forever. Noah and his family remained on the ark for one year and 11 days. That's a long time to be on a floating zoo. Then Genesis 8 tells us God instructed them to repopulate the earth, and God would never destroy it by water again. Imagine the joy and relief over the coming years when Noah attended birthday parties and held his grandchildren in his arms. God had been good. Noah found grace, but Noah also obeyed. Grace by itself would not have saved Noah. Noah and his family had to be obedient to this salvation plan. Stories like Noah's teach believers to obey and not worry about people who misunderstand or mistreat them. There was a wonderful Pentecostal minister named J.T. Pugh. God used him in a mighty way to significantly impact the apostolic church. People who saw the fruit of his ministry may have imagined his life to be peaches and roses, but sometimes when he told the backstory of his life, he told stories of poverty and persecution and violence. Pastor Pugh celebrated great miracles, but he also recounted severe trials. That's the typical path of a true believer. People who do not have a personal relationship with God, they cannot understand the way of a believer. They can't understand why our faith is in a God who promised he would never leave us. Paul said, in fact, our gospel is hid from people who are lost, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. But people who have chosen this path of obedience must understand their contemporaries are not always just being cruel. Sometimes people just simply don't get it. They are like children who think their mom can create money by writing a check or swiping a card or like a kitten who does not understand a laser pointer. You're not going to catch it. Which is why God instructs his people to be witnesses. Born-again Christians are supposed to share our stories with others in hopes people will explore their own relationships with God. If people who hear the testimonies are too fearful or too bigoted or too stubborn to honestly pursue God, then they really will never understand. Don't get upset. Just take it to the Lord in prayer. God shared his plan of salvation with the world all through Scripture. Jesus gave his life. That's the heart of the gospel. And he invites us to respond in obedience. Those who respond in obedience to the salvation plan reap immediate benefits as well as eternal rewards. Here's how the salvation plan works for this New Testament church. Jesus died for our sins. We respond in obedience through repentance when we die out to our sins. Jesus was buried. We respond in obedience when we are buried in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Thankfully, we get to come back up. And Jesus rose from the grave. Thankfully, we rise out of that baptism tank. We rise from our knees in repentance and we walk in newness of life. Jesus fills us with his Holy Spirit. The immediate benefits, 
We have this relief from guilt, freedom from sin. We have a clean heart. We wear the name of Jesus on our lives. We are filled with love, peace, and joy, and all of the fruit of the Spirit. The eternal rewards? We have eternal life. We're reunited with our loved ones. We live with Jesus in a place he prepared for us and reign and rule with him as kings and priests. What a wonderful salvation plan God has extended to us by his grace. As you grow in your faith and knowledge of the word of God, there's an excellent principle of scripture that says scripture interprets scripture. So as we get close to the end of this lesson on salvation, let's take a look at what Peter had to say. He makes a very clear connection between the story of the flood and the plan of salvation. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, apparently Peter was southern, was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's First Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, where Peter ties in the story of the flood to the story of the gospel and shows us salvation plans in both stories. Let me tell you a story. It's about World War II. There's a terrible conflict, ravaged so many nations, so many people groups. Because of Hitler's hatred toward the Jews, they endured an unbelievable, incredible, disproportionate amount of violence and death. But in the middle of all of that chaos and destruction, there were a few brave men and women who executed daring plans to rescue their fellow human beings. One such man was Oskar Schindler. He was a German. He was a member of the Nazi party, but he proposed a plan of escape. He ran enamelware and ammunitions factories in Poland. And using his political connections and his money, he obtained permission to relocate those factories. Many of the Jews who worked for him were saved from being captured. In fact, some estimate he saved nearly 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust. And the Jews he saved obtained their freedom by simply following his salvation plan. It's no surprise. It's not news. The world's a mess, and we all need to be saved. We can't make choices for anybody else, but we can choose for ourselves. We can choose to obey God's plan and enjoy the benefits. And like with the flood, God's end-time salvation will both judge the disobedient and save the obedient. One more time, Peter explained it like this in 2 Peter chapter 2. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials. Aren't you glad? Even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the final day of judgment. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 5-9. through nine. Last question. What are the odds that you and I would be able to hear and respond to the plan of salvation if we had not yet heard it. Have you ever thought about that? If you had not yet heard the gospel and this beautiful plan of salvation, how likely would you be to hear it before you did stand before God? What would it be like to be out there not having heard the gospel? It's really a terrifying question, but 
It's reality for some, which is why as believers, as disciples of Jesus, we need to do our best to share this gospel with everyone we can. How sad when people discuss salvation in terms of what we have to do. Salvation is not a have-to thing. It is a get-to thing. Just ask Noah. He didn't have to live, but God in his grace let him live. The same is true with us. We don't have to be saved. Thank God we get to. Right now, we don't have to pray, but we get to. And we get to ask God to help us to apply what we've just learned and just heard and ask God to help us to be obedient to him, follow his beautiful plan of salvation. And for those who already have, to look at it through the eyes of thank God for your grace and ask the Lord to help us to share it with others before the Lord Jesus comes back. Lord, I love you. You are gracious. You are good, better to us than we deserve. I praise you for all your grace and goodness. Thank you for all those who are listening, Lord. I pray if there's anybody listening who has not yet experienced your grace and your goodness, that you would touch them tonight. You would bring them to a place of repentance, a place where they will be baptized and have their sins washed away and your spirit fill them. I pray you would minister tonight to those who have never experienced this salvation plan, that they would experience it in the name of Jesus. I pray also you'd please minister to us and help us to share it with as many as we can. God, help us to share the salvation plan. May we be, as Noah was, a preacher of righteousness, whether we're ever called to vocationally give our lives to ministry or just simply make disciples all throughout our lives. Use us for your glory, Lord, to make disciples. I pray you would help us today to see you as you are, gracious and good, and to do what you've called us to do. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining me, God's Word for Life listeners. I hope this lesson, this episode has been a blessing to you. I am very curious how you listen to it, if you listen to it as a companion podcast or if you just listen to it free of the student book. I am curious to see how we can better serve and help disciple people who are listening to this. So if you would, please let me know. Reach out to me. My Facebook Screen name is lj.harry. My Twitter and Instagram handles are lj and andrea, l-j-a-n-d-a-n-d-r-e-a. Or you can reach me through email lharry at upci.org. I would love to hear how this episode or this lesson or this podcast in general is a help and blessing to you and if you listen to it with the companion student guide or just stand alone. If you are interested in more resources from God's Word for Life. You can find all of those on godswordforlife.faith. That is the fan corner for God's Word for Life resources. You'll find all the guides, leader guides, daily devotional guides, all of those right there on godswordforlife.faith. Next week, we continue through the series called In the Beginning, and we're taking a look at the October 3rd, 2021 lesson titled Worshiping the One True God. Focusing on Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. Great story, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.